Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics with publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor. Well, well let me back well, up. <laughs> let me back up. I, I, I am retired now, believe it or not. I, I'm still doing stuff, but I'm retired. So I'm not uh, the senior editor, the news editor of PW any longer, but I am still on a freelance basis. The editor of PW Comics World, I'm editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter and as you can see i'm still on this podcast anyway uh to find out more about what we do at publishers weekly and comics check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics okay today on more to come we've got a great chance to talk with uh henry baraja let me i mean he, he, you do a lot of things i knew you first uh at the beat i think uh then you went on to be a comics professional working for uh, top cow only line forge but uh for our purposes now in many ways you're a comics writer of of impressive reach uh the author of la voz de mayo uh tata rambo a really exceptional uh example of uh creative nonfiction in the graphic novel category we'll, we, we're going to talk something about that uh you've written for marvel for dc uh you've got helm gray castle yep the latinx fantasy we'll have to talk about that if we can hey gil thorpe uh a comic strip from my youth and look i'm retired so that tells you how old i am and i read gil thorpe you know when comics and then were still in newspaper comics were still in actual print newspapers right. so with that long uh rambling introduction hey henry welcome to more to come thank you it's uh, a real honor i've been listening to this podcast and uh, you know, as as you said earlier, we met when I was working for Heidi McDonald, and um, you know, shout out to Heidi for bringing so many amazing people into my life, like yourself. Hey, hey, I could say the same thing about Heidi. Believe me, you know, uh, most of what I know about comics, believe me, I learned from Heidi McDonald. You know, other than just you know being like a you know general nerd, uh, <laughs> Heidi taught me the business of writing about comics. Uh, and yeah, she's, no she's the goat. That, she's the goat. You know? Yeah. There's no, yeah, I, I, I'm, I was very lucky to have learned from her and still do. Yeah. You know? Same here, bro. Same here. Uh, so yeah. And I'm not saying that just because she's going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, I say it to her all the time, oh, uh, but she knows, but I gave you, the, but, 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 but let's let's wade through that rambling introduction that I gave you. Um, uh, and I was telling you before we started, you know, that I I learned more about your background reading uh, uh, that incredible graphic biography of your grandfather. But so, wh where are you from? Uh, you know, yeah. enlighten well, us. The, yeah, I mean, I as you, as you probably learn throughout, you know, doing this job, it's a lot easier to get other people to talk about themselves. So. I, I like yeah. to do less talking and revealing about who I am, you know, unless it's in a comic book form, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm born and raised fourth generation uh, Tucsonan. That's mm -hmm. uh, located in the south side, southwest of the United States in Arizona. Um, you know, my my mother's side of the family is indigenous to the Sonoran Desert, and um, yeah, so I, I feel very lucky to be from that, you know, beautiful like very blue part of Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
Well, tell us about your. Well, we know a little bit about your um, uh, your grandfather, but but, you know, but talk us about when did when do you first remember comics coming into your life? I I feel like they've always been in my life. I my parents loved the superhero movies, so we would watch those, and they were big thrifters. So and, and they were huge uh, road uh, antique roadshow PBS watchers. And they okay. would see comics go for thousands, and they were like, they got caught up in the death of Superman ah. uh, noise. So, and being in Tucson, Tucson's a, a very it's it's a small, big city that uh, has the University of Arizona. So a lot of college kids in and out, a lot of kids leaving the the state altogether. So they would buy. My parents would go to yard sales and buy boxes of comics, thinking. There'd be a diamond in the rough, and they would have me appraise okay. them, not knowing that I would actually read them. You know, ah, uh, interesting. So you 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 both had kind of different goals there, but the result <laughs> yeah, is they they're growing a, a fierce comics fan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, I also uh, not to uh, compete with how old we are. I remember uh, comics being available at grocery stores and sure. gas stations and. And just like buying random comics out of sure. out of sequence, and just treating it like a you know an escapism, and sure. I'm very lucky to have had that experience, uh, and to have that love very early, you know, through the uh, Wizard magazines and the various like uh, comics publishing magazines. That that was what I was more into as a kid. I I didn't know a lot of I I, I couldn't do math to save my life. <laughs> well. But I could write, you know, and I was very good at that as a kid. So, and I think the comics and the reading about comics really fostered that. And I think that's why I have such a strong connection because hmm. it's a real, like, constant in my life. So when did when did it first occur to you that, well, that comics could be some sort of career, even, you know? I mean, did you always, just from hearing you t talk now obviously the writing part of it was attracting you when when did you think that hey you know maybe i this is a job that i could do right well uh you know i'd like to say wizard magazine you know mm -hmm. i would see like the pictures from the cons and in the back mm. of the tabloid the pay-to-play tabloid you would see the top 10 writers and artists and you would see their faces mm. you know it was an era of of creating the comic book celebrity and I think I really was like, oh, I want to be on the top ten. I, mm. You know, as I've, uh, you know, uh, been in this business, I've become less competitive. I do not care to be the top ten mm. <laughs> writer mm. in comics. But that was something that really attracted me to be like, oh, I could be a writer and make these things. And, and I think it's, you know, when I turned 16, I became very involved with my local comic shop, Charlie's Comics. And um, he was very uh, – if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have been able to read the more um, mature or mm -hmm. less cape-oriented stuff. So that so mm -hmm. that was attractive to me too because there was more people like me doing those comics. Yeah. Ah. You know? Well, uh, of course. Well, that's I think that's always an interesting juncture in a comic nerd's life. I mean I, I myself grew up as a superhero-like obsessive. 
Uh, and then there's that moment where you kind of – because the market is sort of overloaded in North America, at least you know over the course of our lives. I, what we're living uh, in a world now, and I think thanks to writers like you that we're seeing – you know, a, a just an explosion in diversity of genre, not to mention in uh, writers and characters and storylines. So uh, that moment where, you know, not putting down superhero comics in any way, but saying, hey, there's another world of storytelling that at one time just was not as prominent in American comics. Yeah. What, what also was really eye-opening for me was I was a terrible high school student because I was working a full-time job supporting my mother and my sister and I mostly slept because I was working 40 hours a week at a movie theater but there mm. was one class where I was engaged because I loved history still do mm. uh but uh the teacher Mr. Johnson used um Art Spiegelman's mouse ah, to create sure. you know the uh impact that is had on the Jewish community and world and history mm. and I I was never more engaged and yeah. thankfully that is like one of the early kernels that would, you know, pop into Love Osamaya, which I'm grateful to mm -hmm. say I signed, um, you know, a, a deal with them that uh, Love Osamaya for the next 10 years will be um, incorporated in the New York public education curriculum for grade 11. Um, wow, great. So millions of children in New York are going to learn about my great grandfather and, and read pages uh from from our graphic novel for the next decade. That's terrific. I, I, I'm gonna I'm, I want to I, I want to talk to you uh, a lot more about uh, Louis Mayo because you really you and the work you did with uh, with Jay Gonzo the artist it really it's distinctive. It really stands out. I'm a big fan of serious nonfiction, and you I, to me that book just brings together so many of the threads that are making uh i think comics get exciting right now in the nonfiction category and i think that's where you see so much incredible memoir and on the indie side obviously autobiographical comics were a huge kind of uh separator i think you know in terms of how it uh it, it, they, it, it gave indie comics really something different uh i i think it showed what a big audience there is out there for it so we're gonna we're gonna come back to that, but but as I understand, also you 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 had a radio show in Tucson as well. I did, and, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, I love radio, mm -hmm. and I think I have a face for radio. So <laughs> your face is fine, oh, <laughs> radio you, or not. Thank you. <laughs> in fact, we need to see more faces like yours. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, and I, growing up, you know, spending a lot of time in cars, you know, and <laughs> yeah, and. I loved, I just loved the fun they were having and I love music, you know, and I love, so, um, I just like volunteered for KXCI, a wonderful mm -hmm. community run, uh, radio station. Please check it out, kxci.org. They're always playing amazing music. And Tucson's such a beautiful place that how, like really is very musician friendly. There's multiple venues, there's mm -hmm. low barrier of entry. Uh, you know, the longer you do it, the more likely you're going to open for big acts because mm -hmm. we all, you know, the, uh, the bookers there want, really want to see the good people and good musicians do well. But mm -hmm. um, I started off my friend, I was working at the Tucson Weekly, my friend uh, who was a, a freelancer who I was the online editor for, he was leaving town. He was like, Henry, I put your name in so you could take my spot. 
and his spot was the uh, 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. shift. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What a, that that proves you wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for a couple of months, and they were like, Henry, you're doing such a great job at a time where no one's listening. We're going to put you from the 5 a.m. to the 7 a.m. slot, right. where a lot of people would say, hey, I heard you on the radio when I was going to the airport. So I would <laughs> okay. play some, like, you know, Jefferson Airplane or, like, you know, random things that – and then uh, they were like, Henry, you're doing such a great job. We want to give you a weekday uh, slot before the afternoon drive. And, All uh, right. Now after- we're getting into prime time here. Yeah, which was one of those, like, I feel very lucky that I've got to do whatever I've wanted. Like, I, I was working for a publication, and I just told my job, hey, I'm going to DJ in the middle of the day during my work week. And we can, you know, and they were like, yeah, you should do that. You know, and I feel very lucky that I've had, you know, Tucson's a special to place. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I got to play a lot of music and have a lot of fun. I, the, the, the most fun I ever had was on 420. Uh, I got to do, <laughs> and haven't we all calling and saying, Oh, you should play this song and this song. And like the director was blown away. Kathy Rivers. She was like, uh, you know, we never get this many calls or engagement. This is so much fun. And I was stoned. She didn't know that. 420. And, there you uh, go, baby. 420. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, you know, I'm, and I'm going to get off of the, this background in just a second, but stand up comedy? I did stand up. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I, so when I was 18 years old, I started a comic book news podcast called Retcon. Where okay. I interviewed a lot of people, and unfortunately, the the people I was working with that was lending me this like very beautiful, uh, amazing at the time studio space, uh, their family was very insistent on being on the podcast, but none of them read comics, so it was always embarrassing when I was talking to like Chris Roberson and Bill Willingham and mm. like you know other big yeah. names, and no one knew what they did or. And so I was like, hey, we should dwindle this down to me and you. And then the guys kept showing up. It was so awkward. And they were like moping around that they couldn't be on the podcast. So I was like, hey, well, I can't do this anymore. So when I turned 21, I walked across the street to the uh, comedy, cl- the only comedy club in Tucson hmm. and was like, oh, I could, do- I, I want to do this. I can you do know, this. I love yeah. stand up. Yeah. 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 This looks easy. And, uh, <laughs> Hey, that's it. You know, whatever it takes to get you going. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, you know it, I blind did it for four confidence. Years. Yeah, I did it for four years. Came to LA, ah. realized I I was I had done the four years in the wrong place because when you come to LA, you're doing like two a.m. shows, and you might not even get on because the booker, his friend, was on CSI as a dead body that week, and that guy has some like you know. He's high on the celebrity, and he wants to do a 45-minute set. So you're like, oh, I'm not getting on, nice. you know. Hmm. So thankfully, publishing took off faster and uh, is paying my bills now. All right. So, yeah, so I, mean, I, I do want to talk a little bit about your publishing side. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I really want you to talk about what you've been writing. But you you, you want to go over that real quickly? I mean, sure. you know, uh, uh, what? Top, well, well the, we, we talked about the beat. Top Cal, you were. I mean, that's where we. I that's where yeah. I know you from. Many con- conferences, of course, many oh, conventions. Yeah. yeah, I worked for Top Cal from 2016 to 2020, 
one. And it was like, you know, the best job experience anyone could ask for. You know, if, if you showed the effort, you, uh, you know, they would let you do that, whatever you wanted. So I got to work with retailers. I got to work with libraries, creators, press outlets and conventions. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful for that, for that uh, work that I did with Mark Silvestri, Matt Hawkins and mm-hmm. right. Elena Salcedo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a opportunity to work with Alex Segura, Oni Press. Um, yes. As you know, and have reported on. Yes. That, uh, that, elim- that position was eliminated. Mm. But uh, because of that, uh, you know, that, that relationship I got to strengthen with Alex, um, he's the one who uh, suggested that I write Gil Thorpe. Uh, oh, really? For, oh, great. With Tribune uh, mm-hmm. Content Agency, which I'm, this is, it, it, it Gil Thorpe is my favorite job I've ever had. And I, and uh, I love it. Well, we're going to get to that because I, I right. like I said, I, I, I was very impressed with it as someone who read that strip, you know, too far back <laughs> to, to 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 really say. Um, uh, but I do, but uh, we, as we both know, Alex Sakura is uh, is also on top of being a terrific comics creator. He is a a you know a great comics uh, publishing professional. Oh, totally. Well. Yeah. It was good to learn from him, but also uh, solidify what I know in this industry and what my worth is and and really Great. like uh, learn and impart what little wisdom I have. OK. And <laughs> it, it uh, you know, it was one of those uh, rare relation, you know, work relationships where uh, you're contemporaries, but you're also like trying to trying to do business and i think a lot of people in the comic book industry and publishing industry in general uh don't have a uh a desire to make money and when publishers go belly up and people wonder why what happened you're like well you know a lot of the things they took a chance on probably wasn't going to sell and when you have a lot of those duds you know that that's not just causing problems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and, and, well, that's a very interesting point, particularly now that we're in a time that we see comics publishing expanding to bring in audiences that you know the traditional comics industry uh, either ignored or wrote off. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, that's why it's really so interesting. I mean, if you've got. The both you and Alex have this dual perspective of being both on the publishing side and on 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 the creative side. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately, you know, in the comic book industry in particular, the barrier of entry is so low that if you're in this business and you're making the kind of money you're making in this business, ninety nine point nine percent, you're going to want to make comics. Hmm. You know, yeah. and publishers, and you know, executive directors and, and and stuff like that don't want to hear that because at a certain point you're going to go that direction you know yeah and you lose that mind hmm. and uh yeah so it's yeah it like i said i'm very lucky to have the kind of uh opportunities experience and knowledge you can't learn you know you can go to school to be an artist or a writer but you can't go to school to be a comics publishing professional yeah it's old school. You get it. you got to you got to get in the mix uh, any way you can. Exactly. Which <clears throat> and that's what Top Cow was for me. Yeah, yeah. that's great. They, so they, they made it possible for Lavosa Mayo and Helm Greycastle to be out there. 
well, let's talk about that. When did the writing start? What, what was your first piece? And, and how, uh, uh, should we jump to La Vosta de Mayo first or would you like to talk about That's something else? That's the one before? everybody, I want everyone to remember me by. Definitely. It's a great book. It really <laughs> is, you. man. It Thank really you. is. I, I mean, for, for those who don't know, if you go to publishersweekly.com slash comics, we have an interview, uh, you know, with you. I think it was from 2019. I think when the, uh, collected thing first came out. So, you know, you, 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 there's more from from Henry on publisherswiki.com you can go there but but yeah, tell us a little bit about that cuz it it's just fascinating both your family history and how you and Jay Gonzo put this together right put, uh, yeah. to create this comic yeah. i mean uh you know i like i said earlier i was writing i was a online editor for the Tucson Weekly i got uh laid off there because the uh company was purchased by a uh, you know, another company that was more interested in, in hiring writers without paying them oh, and them, like free food stubs or movie stubs to, you know, it, it was a, yeah. yeah, like it was a terrible time, I think, in journalism. I mean, more, I think more so now, but at the same time, mm. you know, journalism's having different issues that is systemic from, you know, 2012, 2013. Yeah. But, um, I was, uh, you know, I didn't write for a year and I was kind of at the, you know, I was, I was hosting the radio show. I was doing, um, you know, I was doing a lot of things and I read Congress, the late great Congressman John Lewis's March. Mm, and yeah. that just was like, oh, I can do this with comics. Sure. You know, and I can make it, I can make it like this. It's not going to be as good. But it's going to be my, like how I want to tell it, and um, you know, shout out to Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. Sure, mm-hmm. uh, that book really, I think, you know, it changed my life, but also changed comics forever. You know, uh, so absolutely, absolutely, um, and it, yeah, we could go on and on. Yeah, but, exactly. But <laughs> <clears throat> besides, you know, chronicling uh, really the greatest struggle in American history. Um, uh, it was a great read. I mean, you know, it, you have, people have to re- realize that this is history brought to life and in, in a way that only comics can do it. Exactly. Exactly. And with La Voz de Mayo, it's like, well, I've been complaining about the lack of diversity in Mexican American or just Mexican. And, uh, it really struck me at that point how little to n- no representation of Native American history. Mm. Especially, you know, outside of, you know, the last 30 years, uh, which now is becoming more and more pre- prevalent and uh, more sexy for people to be reading at this point. So I, I was like, OK, this is something I, I know will do well. And I know this is a story only I can tell. And I feel very lucky that I, I got the permission from my great grandfather and the materials from him to do it. And from other extended family, but yeah, Matt Hawkins. I was going to do a Kickstarter with another artist, and Matt Hawkins, my boss at the time, said, "Uh, you should work with get Jay Gonzo." And I already knew Jay Gonzo because of our Arizona ties. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, "Oh, I'll call him right now." And and I don't think Matt realized I was like going to call his bluff. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and there you I go. Like, we got it. Okay, so I'll do it. So I kickstarted it because, um, mm. you know, a single issue thing like that would die. 
and also wanted to have the agency to do whatever I wanted and to have control of my family's history. So when I did the three Kickstarters, we collected it for the trade paperback market, which is more sexy to like, you know, publications or like, you know, the press, you know, when it's straight to graphic novel and there's no hint of, of comics at all, you know. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully Publishers Weekly is changing that. Because, <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, I, we we try to bring it all together here, the periodical world and the book world. I, you know, my my one note uh, career has been about how books and the book format has transformed and opened up comics to a, a bigger audience, better terms, all of that. Definitely. But um, uh, I also think what the way you went about putting this together using Kickstarter. Uh, which has also changed the game, I think, for creators oh, in this business. Yeah, they were very supportive and still are. Yeah, yeah. But but uh, tell us more. I mean, I do think our listeners need to know more about uh, your grandfather. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more. Mm. I mean, this really is a great story. It's a Thank timely you. story. And uh, I do think that, I mean, certain things you guys do in that book – uh, how you talk with your grandfather and he talks to you about how he's losing his memory. I mean, you bring, you use comics in ways that I think just as exciting for nonfiction. You're telling Thank us you. this is a story that really happened, but you know, you're, you're able to bring a certain kind of magic to the story, I think, too, uh, through the art of Gonzo and your writing. I'm glad you picked up on that. Scene. Oh, it's a great sequence. Yeah, it's the last time I actually talked to him. Oh, uh, wow. Calvin's referring to, uh, in chap, the beginning of chapter three, of La Vosa Mayo, where I'm talking to my great-grandfather. His name is Ramon Jaurique. He was a World War II veteran, a Chicano activist, and a orphan who helped one of the last Native American tribes gain federal recognition. It wasn't until 2007 another tribe was able to gain mm. uh, federal recognition without any treaty rights or or uh, paperwork. So I, um, you know, one of the last I, the last time I saw him in person. I um, went to see him and he was in his, you know, he's living at this broken trailer and he's sitting at the the end of the bed of a truck. And I sit down and I told him, hey, I'm going to write the book. You know, thank you for sending, giving me all this information. And he was like, well, you better hurry up because I'm forgetting things. Hmm. And at the time I was reading so much about him as a young man. Also, we would we drove around prior to that and uh, he was, uh, you know, telling me where he grew up. Mm-hmm. But, like I, I got a sense of uh, the kid I never heard about, and uh, in that page, I'm talking to him, but I, it, it, it he like Benjamin Buttons in front of me, where he's <laughs> yes. like, he, he's you know, he's present day, and then he's the guy that we learn about, uh, you know, in the uh, 70s and 60s about. You know, organizing and and have, and stopping the city of Tucson from bulldozing the Basque mm. tribes' land in in order to build a freeway um, through them. Um, and then I was like thinking about the kid that you know lost his mother and father, mm. and his father died from complications to mustard gas mm. uh, during his time in World War One, which you know illustrates the problem we have about black and brown and people of color that fight for this country and don't get the recognition they deserve and uh, learning about how his mother died from a stroke, from stroke complications, which, you know, probably either she couldn't afford or the, you know, the medical prowess at the time probably didn't know how to diagnose or care to mm-hmm. even treat her. We'll, we'll never know. 
Um, you know, it was a, it was, it was very, very eye opening experience for me that I'll never forget. And for five years, you know, he, his intentions, his words, his, you know, life lived in me. And I like to call it, uh, my college kid where I, you know, saw, uh, you know, cradle the grave for five years, put $30,000 into it, mm. left the nest and it doesn't call me anymore. Doesn't write. And people have formed opinions and it has a life of its own. Yeah. And, and, and is that, that the, the, the time frame that you put the book together? It was a five year journey of mm-hmm. re- like two years of research, a year and six months of a year. Yeah. A year of six months in production. Yeah. It was like, you know, a, like a four, like 0.9 yeah. years, you know, I always round up to mm-hmm. five. Because it sounds, you know, more. Mm-hmm. And, and and how did your grandfather again uh, get connected with the the, the Pasca Yaki? Uh, did I well, he, yeah, saying pa- that the Pasca Yaki mm-hmm. tribe? Uh, he married my great grandmother right. mm-hmm. Leonor, who was a native of the Sonoran Desert, and he, they lived on the Pasca Yaki uh, reservation. And um, you know, he was a very well-spoken very uh and not to say like brown people aren't well-spoken but he had he was bilingual he Mm -hmm. was able to write in english and spanish Mm. he was very good at communicating very charming very uh charismatic uh and was uh, a lot of people gravitated towards him to the detriment of his marriage which i think is um that for me was the fun part To yeah. write, which is not a great thing to say. Right. But uh, that was important for me because I was writing this uh, during 2016 when the Me Too movement happened, knowing that he cheated on my great-grandmother mm. and, you know, learning about uh, the, the Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, rumors about him being uh, sure know, uh, not faithful to his wife and learning about Gandhi later in, in my life that he used to sleep with his 13 year old cousin. You know, mm. you, you, I felt tricked and I, I didn't want kids to feel that way when they, if, or because I was, I had the hope that this would end up in schools. Sure. And I wanted kids to get a full picture of someone because I think that's what really complicates things now, uh, you know, with people. And when you find out they're not perfect. Right. Well, the importance, I think, of also conveying the complexity of, these kinds of figures and particularly in your grandfather's case because his impact his work it was pretty much forgotten even yes. even in the tribes records i think you would tell you you've talked about that unfortunately the history books and the tribe itself did a very poor job of mm. recognizing la voz de mayo which translates to the voice of mexican american yaqui other uh all the it wasn't just him and that's kind of one of the big things that you know we that happens when, you know, we attribute a lot of the uh, United Farms work- Workers movement to Cesar Chavez when Dolores Huerta gets little to no recognition. And then the people at large, you know, the migrant farm workers that marched for hundreds of miles and got arrested and beaten. And mm-hmm. and you don't like so a lot of like I felt like it was very unfortunate that a lot of people because my great grandfather did such a great job bearing his accomplishments that 
he inadvertently did that for a lot of other people. Yeah. Mm. And that's why the book is dedicated to the whole group instead of just him. Good. I see. Well, uh, well, once again, it's, it, it's really a, a great work. Uh, any more nonfiction, you know, in, in your future? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of my, that's my, you know, like if I was a drummer in a jazz band, that, <laughs> that is my sweet spot, you All know, right. depressing nonfiction history. Uh, I, I plan on doing a true crime that happened in Tucson back in the 60s. Cool. I really like the 60s. It's a great, uh, great, you know, great fashion, great music, mm -hmm. very just like, you know, downer post World War II. I don't know. I just feel like there was more, the stakes were higher back then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as someone I'm... who lived through it, I'll tell you, you're absolutely right. And it was also, <laughs> we also had a hell of a lot of fun, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah without cell phones. Uh, yeah, I there you go. There on... were no cell phones. There were a lot of drugs though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm planning on doing a, a story on Dolores Huerta. Mm. Uh, there was a I lot think... of politics, a lot of music and a lot of drugs. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. I, I was born in the wrong era. Well, you know, you can you can you, you can relive it, and and, and you kind of found a way to do it uh, through through comics. Thank so, you. Yeah. Um, so 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 where did you go from there? How can we talk? Maybe jump to because uh, you've done some writing for for Marvel and DC. Am I? Am yeah. I right. So you want to talk a little bit of that? I don't know as much about it. You did give me a Batman comic somehow or other. I I was can't at, find uh, it. SPX. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, so just to give everyone context, uh, La Voz de Mayo entered the market November 2019 and 2020 was shaping up to be a big, oh. big promotional tour where I had scheduled two events uh -oh. every month at that point, uh, you know, for 12 months. And sure. that was just before the year even started. Right. And um it, it really hit at the worst time possible. Yeah. I see uh, where you're heading here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of creatives can relate to just getting that, um you know, getting the wind kicked out of you and just being like, you know, I finally got the book that I I'm mm. like, I've been, I was born to write and tell. And this happens. So I buried myself in work and turned it to Helm Greycastle, which is a Latinx fantasy about uh, a, a fictional world where the Aztecs beat the Spanish conquistadors, and they also exist uh, in a fantasy sword and sorcery uh, world. And um, and again, with the, the lack of representation with uh, role-playing games, I'm not going to say mm. who in particular, because mm. I don't have uh, good lawyers to back me up, but uh, I wanted to tell a story that incorporated black and brown people and also as someone who plays uh D&D &D, I wanted to give that 5e compatible experience but using the Aztec my uh, mm -hmm. you know timeline to put people in which you would have to think of yourself as like a namor you know or something yes, yes. Well, like that a good good point to bring up uh, uh um Yes, and now you had your co-creators, what, uh, Brian Valenza, uh, yeah, beautiful Brian artwork, Valenza. absolutely oh. gorgeous. So lucky. Yeah, um, oh, what's it, Ramat, uh, Hondoko? Uh, Hondoko? Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, so Brian and I, uh, we were planning on putting out in 2020, uh, the anthology that's coming out now. Um, it's called Beyondtopia Legends. And Brian has been a really amazing colorist that worked with, 
Top Cow and now has been working predominantly with Marvel. Um, and he's also fancies himself a writer. So he was like, mm-hmm. I want to like get into that space. So I've been helping him with that. And um, <clears throat> so he has built an incredible network of Asian artists and, um, and Hondoko and himself were such a great team. Uh, and I feel very lucky I got to work with them. So there's and a trade paperback of that. Out there now. is a trade paperback yeah. that has all four issues and three of the games that we published in, mm-hmm. in the periodicals, which for me, the periodicals were fun because I had, we, we designed it with Jen, um, Jen Vaughn with, mm-hmm. uh, sure. with games written by Tristan J. Tarwater and Jeffrey Golden, where the inside of the front and back cover of the comic was a map. So I was encouraging people to tear the interior pages so you can place your miniatures and play mm. on the, on the, you know, inside cover and then buy a second copy so you can read the rules and follow along. You know, they're, they're, they're spoken like a true marketing man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. There yeah, was a plan. The coder ring and listen to the radio there you on go. Sunday nights <laughs> for the secret message. I love it. I love it. So, uh, well, uh, this is great. Go out and check it out. I've been reading Helm Great Castle, just started it. So, uh, like I said, art is really fantastic. You leap back and forth between these worlds. Uh, the fantasy worlds of, uh, uh, a more recognizable. And then, of course, the Aztec world and the man world, which we're only, while we know about this, of seeing it in popular culture, uh, is refreshing and new. Yes, the goal was to, like, I know, I I did some research and I found a book called Broken Spears that uses the indigenous account of what happened. And, uh, that it it read like a, a, like an action movie. It's incredible and sad. Yes, of course. Yes, (laughs) yes. And we need to be clear about that. Yeah. So what next? Where I, yeah, I rolled into, uh, you know, as soon as Helm Grey Castle was done, my good friend Ben Abernathy at DC Comics, he uh, partnered me with uh, Dave Wilgus and, and Jess Burbay, where I got to tell a Batman story that incorporates some of the Mesoamerican themes that's yeah. in Helm Grey Castle uh, with Batman and Etrigan the Demon, uh, which was a lot of fun. Felt very, very honored to do that. Um, that that was dedicated to my friend before she had passed away. I, I got mm. to you know, name a character. I, I created two new Latina characters. That I hope, fingers crossed, they end up in a CW Batman show in the fu- in the future. You All know, right. uh, and uh, then at the same time, I was writing this COVID comic for Marvel and Somos Healthcare and Funny or Die, where uh, it was a comic to encourage uh, the Latinx community in New York City to get uh, to get their kids vaccinated before yeah, school cool. starts. So if the kid got the uh, vaccine, they got the comic, and uh, I've spent a lot of time in Bushwick, so I had it take place at Maria Hernandez Park, and oh, cool. they set up shop there, so you could literally go to the park where the you know Avengers are, and, and get the vaccine. Oh, that's it, great! I feel very lucky I got to have a positive impact, and then um, and then I've just been working. Yeah, recently worked on House of Slay that's available. Yes, that's, this is a webtoon. Uh, yeah. story yeah, yeah and it's a fashion house yeah they're, they're so it's like crazy rich asians if they became superheroes you know it's a very <laughs> very okay. cool contemporary uh you know 
set of characters that, it, it, you know, it could be corny, but it's actually cool. You know, yeah. it's actually believable. You know, like hmm. they're they they're they don't have that seventy year baggage that Batman has, where people can't like sure. blame them for not using their billions of dollars to, okay. you know, help the community when they're hiring people like myself, literally to write their stories. And I assume the costumes are fabulous. Oh, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Wada covers, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then Gil Thorpe, which is a blessing. Yes. Something yeah. I never, you know, I never thought would ever happen. What's it like? I mean, because it's a daily, right? It's Monday through Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, it seems like a demanding schedule. I'll put it, it is. that way. <laughs> it is. It is fun, Calvin. I like, uh, you know, it, it, like it is, you know, very demanding. But it's also like, how am I going to ruin this guy's day today on Monday, you know, <laughs> and incorporate, you know. Because like, you need issues, right? Exactly. There's challenges. Exactly. And, and for those of our listeners who, you know, maybe aren't familiar or as old or as me. as cool as us. Uh, as cool as us or as old as me. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gil thought, now, look, I'm a sports nerd in, in, in addition to being, you know, a comics yeah. nerd. So tell, I mean, maybe you need to tell them just what Gil Thorpe is. Sure. And, and, yeah. Gil Thorpe is a high school, uh, athletics director at Milford High mm-hmm. who teaches and coaches all the sports. Who he is basically, what if Don Draper was less problem, problematic in athletic, you know? <laughs> and, uh, it's a very fun, small world. That just, you know, it's known for uh, tackling subjects like homosexuality, uh, anti-Semitism, racism, and teen pregnancy and drug use. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of those themes uh, were, I don't know, carried throughout the character's history. And uh, as you've read La Vosa Mayo, I, I do not I do not shy away from those kinds of no, opportunities. No. Yeah, and have uh, decided to bring that back in a different way, where I'm incorporating non-binary and trans athletes, yeah. which is a very big, you know, uh, topic within high school sports. Absolutely, um, you know. And I well, I was impressed gambling uh, uh, sports apps, um, which I was I was reading a. Um, a storyline from, uh, I guess, earlier in uh, 2022, which I think is is a huge issue yeah. now. And I was that was uh, Neil Rubin. Shout out to Neil Rubin who did a uh, who did like you know over a decade of Gil Thorpe comics. Which oh okay, you know, uh, yeah. I, my run started July 11th, the week before San Diego Comic Con. Oh okay, <laughs> the week I got laid off. I yeah, see. It was uh, it was a very life saving like thing for me that like kept me you know oh this is you know i I, there's life after losing a job yeah well i'm sure so that's great to hear okay great so your run started in you say in july july Mm -hmm. yeah and uh i have a contract through july so i'm writing a year-long story Mm -hmm. in a periodical which has been a lot of fun to do because I think I I come I come into this job because at the end of the day it's a job you mm-hmm. know uh, I come into this job as you've seen with a particular uh, respect for the medium 
and uh, giving uh, Rod Wiggum, who's been the artist since mm-hmm. 2008, room to draw more and to and clutter less of his artwork with my writing. So there's <laughs> there's been a day where there was absolutely no dialogue, and we have a whole passing sequence. And reader, traditional readers of the strip who probably don't read comics were like, wow, why did the writer just like decide to take a day off today? You know, mm. and it's just as important to have opportunities like that, which I'm, I'm 100% sure that day, wherever it ran in any paper, it was the only textless strip comic. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. you know, so. I've had so much fun, Calvin. Yeah. Uh, and I thank everyone at Tribune, and I thank Alex Segura, of course, mm-hmm. for giving me the opportunity to have – to o- occupy a space while while it's still going where my name is next to, you know, Garfield and Peanuts yeah. and – and Yeah, because for folks who don't know, I mean, Guildhall dates at least to the, what, the 1950s? This is the 65th anniversary. This is the – how long? 65th. Okay. Oh. And, and and it's always interesting these these uh, strips that uh, that you know last so long, but uh, it, it, and and Giltorp did. I, it's funny I don't remember. And when I'm thinking back, it taking on like issues of women in sports quite so much. But maybe I'm wrong. I know they did take on issues, but it does seem like well, you brought mm, you know yes. a new generation of issues. Um, Yes, it is, uh, yeah, unfortunately not well balanced, which is something I'm trying to do respectfully, you know, as a identifying cis male. I want to talk about the issues and the celebrate the awesome stuff. Like I, I, I'm very fortunate where I get to talk at, at high schools and I got to meet one of the world's best female wrestlers who competed in Paris and who's, you know, from my hometown. And, you know, so as much as the, there are problems and things that, you know, that can be improved. There is so many cool kids doing world record breaking stuff. Great. And it gives you a little hope, Calvin, that, you know, that the kids are going to be all right. I am curious though what it's like now. I mean, like I said, I read Gilthorpe, you know, in the newspapers and I, and I guess it's still in print newspapers. Thankfully. Um, That's what, yeah. But Very it's, grateful. it also has another life online. It does. It does. Uh, I feel like the, the main vehicle for web comics is gocomics.com. Right. Good. Uh, which has, you know, which, and there's also King, syndicate there's other other places you can also read it in your newspapers uh website on their comics um their comic sections even if they don't run the uh run it in print there's uh-huh. a lot of uh newspapers that do that so yeah you know and for me the goal is to take the year-long story and put together a graphic novel that has been structured in a way where it's not going to be as jarring to read. Very cool. And so, in, any anything we I should uh, our, our listeners should look out for, or should, should they just just go to gocomics.com and you know, take a look I, at Gil Thorpe? Right. I started a Substack, uh, Latinx Pre- Latinx Press Substack. Oh, great! 
and which is becoming my go-to place if you wanted to learn more about what I'm doing, read the now I mean I feel grateful that webcomics is becoming more sustainable uh and having two things out right now oh, uh, that yes. you can read digitally which I never thought would be you know I've always been so print focused uh and direct market focused mm-hmm. that it's nice to not have to worry about printing schedules and paper issues and um so and yeah, and so, you're on the webtoon platform which is probably one of the hottest platforms to be on right now uh, i yes. think this is another uh way of both creating we're talking about really natively digital comics um that uh are attracting a whole other generation of readers and in yes. incredible numbers and where we're starting to see you know a little bit uh, from starting off as a webcomic and and then moving into print. So, yes. you know, um, it's it's exciting. And you're right there, man. Yeah, I feel very <laughs> lucky, Calvin. You know, it's a, it's a as you know, it's a, it's a marathon. Yes, yes. And you need to be around. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, was it, what is it, what did Yogi Berra say? What, 90% of, of or 50, what is it, 50, uh, whatever he said, showing up. Is maybe the most important thing. I don't know. I think I, I think I, I just did a yogiism there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ninety percent of sounding like yogi is saying up. something that he didn't say. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so you know, we're 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 gonna have to wind this up a little bit. But what else are you working on? Anything we should be aware of? Uh, are you gonna be? Uh, I guess you're getting out to conventions to some extent now. Um, I've uh, decided to take the year off. Uh-huh. I'm going to say very uh, generous convention. Would like to uh, hey, you'll, fly me. You could be, you could be coaxed out of it. <laughs> yes, I, I can be. I just uh, have decided that I need to stay put for a year because, as you know, Calvin, the traveling really beats you up. Yeah, you know, and yep, I, I, I hear you. It's becoming more difficult to recover from, and I need to be productive. So I hear you. My, I, just for another shout out to, you know, pros like Heidi. That, that I mean, I used to go to. I mean, I spread my travel out uh, as a, a reporter and a journalist, and now in my sem, my semi-retired state, I'm going to be doing a lot less of what I did, but. It's tough. It's tough. I'm, I'm, you know, and when you were with Top Cow and other guys that are like at a show, it oh, seemed yeah. like every other week, man. Yeah. 2019, I did, I was on the plane for 13 shows. So you're doing like layovers, you know, two times, you know, back and forth. It, it yeah. just, I mean, from show to show. Yeah. It was, uh, pretty hard. Yeah. And then to go back now, where it's just more dangerous, it, people are somehow less respectful of your space, and yeah. and airlines are, you know, just don't have it together to be like, I've had to stay in Canada twice yeah. because of canceled flights, yeah. you know. I just, um, I, I, I really want to, to play it smart. If you do see me at a con, I'm, I'm not there uh, <laughs> tabling, I'm there... Uh, purely for catching up with people that I love and miss. Yeah. Uh, but I, I plan on being at San Diego, as always. And um, that's it, really. Mm-hmm. You know? right. well, I, I, I'm trying to 
cost uh, cost out TCAF because if you have it's a great show. Yes, you got to go to TCAF. An incredible, welcoming, inclusive uh, experience in one of the most beautiful cities yes. I've ever been. Yeah, Toronto Comic Arts Festival, people. Now, I, I, will, I will also confess that I'm trying to decide, you know, because I haven't been since the you know pandemic started. It is it is hands down, and no disrespect to the New York City uh, Comics Arts Festivals, TCAF is just a great, great show and experience. Really is, yeah. And as you put it, in a, in a in a great city. So, I'm 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 trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's one of those places where, uh, especially with what's going on now with all the mass shootings, it's it's weird to be a place where you feel safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's a it's a global city, incredibly diverse. The show takes place in a library, and it's one of the most like fantastic stories. Li- one of the most fantastic libraries you would like, ever want to see. It's like gla- It's like made of glass. It's huge. It looks like a rocket ship. It's about the same. <laughs> I mean, it's so. I mean, TCAF attracts about. It's also for you know, and I'm using the term that it kind of kind of Heidi kind of popularized comics arts festivals to to differentiate from the mega cons. Uh, you know, and for it's pretty big. I mean, it's about. Oh yeah. It's about. Ten to twenty thousand people over the course of three days, but it doesn't really feel like that. You can really no. talk to people. Yeah. Um, it's a walk. You know, the, the, it's moved to a new hotel. The hotel base is a little different where people stay, but it's still yeah. not that far. You can get around the city really easy. It's great. There's great food. It's just, um, you it's know, there are time. great comics in Canada, of course. Oh, uh, and it's, it's an international show, so there's lots of manga. There's lots of comics from Europe. There's lots of comics from around the world as well as from Canada and and uh, the U.S. So um, just this is a big commercial for TK. Well, yeah, <laughs> I hope I hope we we should coordinate. If so it, we, we'll see. We're, we'll yeah, see. I yeah, can't we'll promise, see. but believe me, I, I it's in the back of my head. If, if you're going <laughs> to go to one show in a year, yeah. you know, uh, definitely TCAF might be a be a good one to pick. One hundred percent. All right. So hey, we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap this up right now. This is great to get a chance to you, Henry. Good luck to you. And thank look, you. thank you so much for being on More to Come. And thank you, Calvin. Doing my thing, man. Doing my thing. Thank you for all the years of making comics a priority and sharing it with the world. And uh, there's only one. You only get one Calvin read in a lifetime, <laughs> and I'm glad I was lived to see it. Well, I appreciate and, um, that, man. Really happy that. for you and your in your retirement. My my retirement. Yeah. Yes. Hey, so, you're retired, Calvin. Come on. I, I am retired. I retired. But as, so, as I a, do get people saying, "Hey, I thought you were retired." Two different newsrooms. You <laughs> yeah. can't. You can't. You could take the the journalist out of the newsroom, but you can't take the newsroom out of a journalist. Yeah, I'll I'll be lurking. I'm gonna be lurking. I'm lurking. <laughs> but I am retired. I am lurking around though. Anyway, Henry, great to talk to you, man. Yeah. All right. Insane. You betcha. Take care. See ya.